It is my really fun and great pleasure to introduce my dear friend, Diane Coy. Come on up. Um, yeah. Some of you might know uh, something about one of the storms she's had, but, you know, um, most of us have had a thousand, right, in our lives. Um, but uh, she's been my friend for a very long time. And sometimes you want to know, uh, does that person walk what they talk? And that's important to know, isn't it? And she, she walks what she talks. And I've, I've watched her walk through um, lots of things and honor the Lord. And I've watched God be his faithful self. So um, just introduce Diane Coy to you. Okay, I was looking in the mirror. My hair looks like I was in a storm. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to go home and do laundry. I actually like doing laundry. It's one of the things I like, but now I know how to do it well. (laughs) Oh, what a a blessing to be with you guys tonight. How many of you had an interesting day? Look at, see, look around. You're not alone because you were going to come to, you know, be with the family of God, to worship, to hopefully hear something that you can take home and and hear his word. And you had an interesting day. My day started, I think, around 2 in the morning um, with contact from my son who's in Uganda, Africa. And, um, you know, he's on a missionary, short-term missionary trip for uh, six months. And that's probably enough to deal with. He's on Lake Victoria. Um, you can only get to him from Entebbe on a boat, and there's a dock, and then you and I think a dock, and then you go to Uganda and see the dock. And not that I've been, but the pictures of the dock, and it, it, it doesn't look like anything you'd let anybody you love walk on. And that's where he is. Um, and But somehow I managed to mess up his financial world, so I was getting contact from him this morning. So this morning it started with Africa and then calling uh, Florida and then calling Montana, trying to work out how I could undo my um, what I did with his finances anyway. So they sent a debit card to my house for him, and he's in Africa, so I didn't send it to him because it would not be maybe arrive safely. I didn't know that the banks can tell you. Anyway, why am I telling you my story? Um, that's how my day started. We, fi- we figured it out. But um, And I know that you could all turn and say, this happened in my day or this happened uh, today at work was crazy. Crazy. People were looking at me at work saying, this is a crazy day. We're asking each other, is there a full moon tonight? So I don't know about you guys, but... Um, I'm blessed to be here with you, and I love Debbie, and some of the times that I have stood through the storm is because people like Debbie were supporting, and I love that you guys are here together, and I pray that if you don't have someone that you connect with or can pick up the phone and say, I need prayer today, or text, that's so nice now, we can just text each other and say, you know, could you use some prayer right now, that by the time these three weeks are over, you have somebody that maybe, you know, look at each other and say, I would love to be able to, you know, ask if you would pray for me and be able to um, pray for you. So um, that's, it's a tremendous 
help when we're going through these difficult times, um, the storms of life. Um, I wanted to share something that I read, and none of us have to deal with this in Southern California, but it says, one winter morning, while listening to the radio, they heard an announcer say, we are going to have 8 to 10 inches of snow today. You must park your car on the even-numbered side of the street so the snow plow can get through. Norman's wife went out and moves her car. A week later, while they're eating breakfast, the radio announcer says, we're expecting 10 to 12 inches of snow today. You must park your car on the odd number side of the street so the snow plow can get through. Norman's wife goes out and moves her car again. The next week, they're having breakfast. The radio announcer says, we're expecting 12 to 14 inches of snow today. You must park your car and it went blank. Electric power goes out. Worried look on Norman's wife's face. Honey, I don't know which side of the street to, to park the car so the snowplow can get through. With love and understanding in his voice, like all of men who are married to blondes exhibit, Norman says, why don't you leave the car in the garage this time, honey? <laughs> blondes. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I know you had a choice tonight and where to go and that you're in here makes me want to just stop and walk around the room and hug you, but you guys can take care of that with one another. But as Debbie said, you know, you're in here because something's going on in your life. And we all, like she said, all of us go through difficult times at one time or another. Um, My prayer is that by the time that you leave, that you'll feel that the Lord has hugged you and he's carrying you when you leave here. Um, I have really uh, prayed about what to share tonight, and I wanted to let you know that I do understand what it's like to go through storms and hardships. Um, I was raised in the home with an alcoholic parent. Um, I went through a 10-year journey of barrenness. Um, A few years ago, I fractured the T7 in my spine, so I've had chronic pain. And so some of you right now have something in common with. And if we go around the room, we would have more in common with one another. But that, you know, the the older you get, the more opportunity we'll have to have things in common because a lot happens to us. Um, So you young ones, just hang in there. But... (laughs) But nothing could compare to the storm that I encountered in, in my life, a devastating trial um, three years ago. Uh, some of you may know who I am and what my story's about, and some of you don't know, have a clue who I am and may, after tonight, may never want to know me again. I don't know, but um, it was the kind of storm that hit when you can't sleep for weeks and you can't eat and um, sometimes you're even telling yourself to breathe. And I don't know, I just got a, a watch that now stops me in the middle of the day and tells me to breathe. And every once in a while I go, that's a good idea. So <laughs> it is, a, okay, I got to breathe. But um, this hardship was a storm that was brewing for years, and I've written it down because this is the first time I've shared this much publicly, and I want to keep myself on track. Anyway, so you're, you're wondering why I'm reading it, like if it's really my story. It's my story, but I just want to not um, get too far off track with you. Um, 
it was brewing for years. Um, each month it was increasing, each week, each day. The difficulty and the pressure were um, getting stronger. In April of 2014, the storm hit suddenly. It was full force. The power of it blew apart my home, my family, my church, my job, and my life as I knew it. Everything in that moment changed. It all happened on April Fool's Day, so I'll never forget that, when my husband of 30 years was caught in multiple affairs. He was the senior pastor of our church. It led to his immediate resignation. He left town on his own and went into a program. So I was left at home with two teenagers, my son Christian, who was 18 at the time, and Caitlin, who was 16. And their whole lives and their whole hearts and everything about them was devastated and turned upside down and inside out. Um, their faith was challenged. The, the, everything that they knew, um, they went to the same schools from preschool up. My son was about to graduate high school. My daughter was a sophomore. Everything they had known, their whole community, their whole life was completely devastated and different. Um, shortly after that, we, uh, I was relieved of my position at the church in women's ministry. And um, just going through those days watching my children digest and try to grasp what has been happening to their life. Um, I remember my daughter, after a couple days, she said, I'm, before the, it went public, my daughter said, I'm going to school today. I said, how can you go to school? She said, Mom, I want to have the last day of my life as I knew it. And she was 16. So she, and then she said, I'm going to Starbucks does anybody want anything? And Christian and I weren't hungry. She goes, and I'm going to the case. And, you know, I'm going to get something sweet. And so we, we um, went through day by day, moment by moment, breath by breath, how to adapt to our new lives. Um, at about that time, um, the media came and camped out on our lawn. We had to leave town for three weeks. Um, it, we went through a lot at that time. And three years later, we're still dealing with some of the healing process, to be sure, and the devastation that we face. But we have a lot of good news to share as well. Um, in the last three years, I've moved three times. One of them was across the United States. I am now single. I am trying to make ends meet. And I have empty nests. So everything happened. They say one of those things is enough to, you know, stress you out a little bit. And I did them all. <laughs> That's just my style. I do everything big. And um, and I did it all at one time. Um, my, my children are both on the mission field. So at least being empty nests, I'm, I'm proud of and blessed at where they're at. So I do know something of the storms of life, and I know that some of you are facing storms that I can't even imagine going through. And that if you were up here sharing, I would look on and just be amazed. Because God has a way of meeting us where, you know, like Corey Ten Boom says, we look on and we say, I could never go through that. 
But if we are going to go through it, then he's going to meet us there with the grace that we need to go through, that he is there. And so we look on at others sometimes, or, or we hear about a circumstance, and secretly inside we even hope. I ne- hope that never happens to me. And yet, whatever we go through as a child of God, we will never go through alone. And we will never suffer what we think will suffer because he is in the midst of that storm with us. I know the storms of life, but I also know my precious Lord. And I know my Savior and his faithful love and his help in times of trouble. And my desire is that I would share something with you tonight. Each one of you have prayed over these last few months that that no matter what I have to say or what condition these notes are in or my mind or my heart, that by the time that we're done tonight, that each one of you has something to take home to apply to your life and to your situation that would give you hope and courage and faith and that you would just be, um, even have a different view of your storm. I kind of have to organize myself. If you can't tell, I'm extremely easily distracted in ADHD and extremely dyslexic. So I need every tool in my bag. And so tonight, I'm going to try to cover points that begin with P. So good thing this isn't puffing. But um, tonight, we're going to cover a plan, prepare, presence, prayer, promise and purpose if we get through all these points and we'll just let the Lord determine that. So before we do that, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we think of you enthroned. We think of you with your angels surrounding you, crying out, holy, holy, holy. Lord, you are seated on your throne. We are most of us in a difficult season of life or or even today was difficult lord and yet you are seated and your work is complete in our salvation and so father we thank you that you are not moved that you are not concerned that you are not unsteady and that you do not change even though we're in a trial, even some of us can't see you right now you are who you are father we ask you to come and visit us tonight. Speak in this place. Have your way. Clear away the thoughts of this day, the distractions of this week, the concerns that have crowded our heart, the worries that we are carrying. Clear them away and speak to each and every one of our hearts. May your presence be known and your voice heard. We want to hear you tonight. We need you. We're desperate for you. Lord, we can't make it through this without you. And so, Father, we invite you in. Would you shore us up? Would you grab us by the hand? Would you help us to walk on water if need be? Or show us that you're in the boat. But, Lord, will you be with us tonight? We just offer you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So I grew up in Southern California, and um, I'm a Cali girl through and through, and I lost my mind and moved to Florida for um, over 25 years. And I don't know how many of you have been to South Florida, but it's, it's, a lot of people think it's the same, but it's subtropic there, so it's tropical. And, and all through the summer, it rains just about every day. Um, it has many, many storms. It's 
Um, in fact, I always teased and thought the easiest job of being a new weatherman would be in South Florida because every day you just say it's going to be 92 degrees and there's going to be thunderstorms in the afternoon. And every day you'd say the same thing and really humid. And so that's, um, so I know a lot more about storms from living in Florida than I do in California. And there are no seasons in South Florida or all of Florida really. Um, but there is one season. And there is one big season, and it's called hurricane season. So there you go. That's what you've been missing out on. Um, and so really, it's April through November. And in March, in February, they start on the news. You go in the store. You get flyers in the paper. Everything's about hurricane season. <laughs> and so um, and it's all about preparing for the storms that might come. And there's, there's hurricanes, there's tropical storms, there's severe storms, there's thunderstorms. So again, I'm kind of a, a storm expert, um, as long as it has rain, not snow. Um, there's specials on supplies. Uh, they remind you where the shelters are. They remind you what to do with your pets, that you need your prescriptions, that you need food, that you need water, you need batteries, you need, you need bleach, um, which is good that we are now going to go out and buy bleach because you need to bleach your bathtub in case you need to fill it with water. And, and uh, again, there's just a lot of steps to preparing for the season of storms in South Florida. Um, there's... Uh, when I was brand new in South Florida, I didn't even watch TV, and I was leaving my apartment. My landlord yelled, hey, did you know there's a hurricane coming? And I said, no. And I got all excited thinking how fun it sounded. And then he said, well, you better get to the store and get supplies. And I said, well, what do I buy? And he said, well, you need water, bottled water, you need batteries, and some food in case you don't have any food. And I said, okay. So I ran off to the store, <laughs> and I got there, and I, I got a cart, and I ran in. I snagged one of the last bottles of water that, there, that was there. And then I ran and got batteries. To this day, I don't think I had anything to put batteries in, but he told me that I needed batteries, so I went and got batteries. And that was easy because a whole end display was batteries batteries for hurricane season. And, you know, we have Christmas season, whole displays. Well, in Florida, you have hurricane season, and there's whole displays. And then it was time for the food. Well, the, so many people were in the store that I couldn't navigate the aisles with a cart, so I left my cart, hoping that no one would take my bottle of water that I'd snagged, and went off to the canned aisle and I was you know kind of looking at people's carts on the way to figure out what they had and so I saw a lady with some soup and I thought well that's a good canned food to get so I ran over and to the soup aisle and I was carrying my cans of soup over to my cart and I, I walk over to my cart and there's like three people looking in my cart to see what I had and I looked at them I go don't look in my cart I'm new here I don't know what I'm doing and they're like oh we're new here too we're tourists we don't you know and everybody I realized that we were all in the store we were new or tourists and we didn't none of us knew what we were doing and we'd all been looking in each other's carts it was like the blind leading the blind. And so we were all laughing about we should just all go to one spot together and share whatever we had because none of us knew what we were doing. But after living in South Florida for um, many years, 
I became somewhat of an expert at preparing for that season and having everything set aside. And especially once I had children, I wanted them to feel safe. You know, up until then, you're kind of, all right, well, whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll weather this storm. But when you have kids, you want them to feel secure and safe and have everything taken care of for them. And so you, you really get it down what you need. And I didn't want to just make them feel safe, but I wanted to be ready to help others. I never wanted to have people have to come and help me. I wanted to be so prepared that I could help others through the storm. Um, and so in all of our lives, storms and hardship and pain and trouble is going to come. In fact, I looked up the word storm and it says violent disturbance. Isn't that something that right now, some of you are nodding your head already, disturbance on the um, in the atmosphere with strong winds and sometimes rain. It's an uproar, a disturbance, or a controversy. And so those things are going to come into our life. How many of you have had a disturbance? Maybe even this week. See, it? look around. Look at all of you. You all have been having, living in or experience or from the outside a, a disturbance. So we need to try to prepare for the storms and the struggles and the adversity and the heartache and the sorrow and the suffering that we're going to face. It doesn't sound encouraging at this point. You're probably wishing I went to that bread one because bread is my favorite. But but, hang on with me. Um, So it's important that we not only face the storm, um, but we understand that storms are going to come. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when you are a new believer, especially, and you're new to Christianity, I don't know about you, but some of us came into Christianity thinking once you're a Christian, you're never going to have another trouble. You're not going to have another problem. You know, I'll never forget my first flat tire. It's like, wait, God, didn't you see my bumper stickers on my car? I'm a Christian. I don't get flat tires. And so somehow we were fed this belief that if you're a Christian, then you're not going to have any troubles. And if you are a Christian, you have troubles, then it's probably your fault. You've probably in sin. There's probably something that you've done to displease the Lord. And so until we start reading the Bible and understanding that that is not what God ever told us, and that's not what we see in Scripture, then the enemy's going to keep us in a place of discouragement. It'll isolate us. We're ashamed sometimes that we're facing a hardship, and we wouldn't come to a place like this and look at somebody and say, I'm really struggling. I'm really having a hard time. I really need someone to, to pray with, or I need someone you know, are you, do you ever have struggles or do you ever have hard times? And somehow we've been fed this message by the enemy that when we come to church is when we don't look like or act like we're having any struggles. Instead, this is where we put on our church face and our church clothes and we're good. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Fine. How did that become an okay answer? It's, it's in our society. It's in our custom. In America, how are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Busy. Busy's an answer, and, and we walk by each other accepting that. And so what we need to do is remember that and know that, that God never said that we weren't going to go through a hard time, even if we're a Christian, even when we're his child. We'll never go through it alone. 
We'll never go through it. We never have to go through it without help or without resources or without his presence or without his promises or his word or even the church to support us. But we will go through them. In fact, I wanted to ask you something tonight. Just shout out somebody, shout out some of your favorite Bible characters. Anybody? Paul. Did Paul go through any hardships? A lot, a long list, didn't he? In Second Corinthians, right? He was shipwrecked. He he was stoned to death, and then God raised him. And he, you know, I could go on and on with Paul. Someone else said, Sarah. Sarah went through. Can you imagine following a man who says we're going to a new place? Pack up, babe. Where are we going? I don't know, but I don't know what shoes to take. I mean, Sarah. But Sarah followed her husband and went through many. And then he said, "This is my." sister and then she put got put in a harem how scary it would be for her to be put in a harem anybody else who's your favorite Ruth 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 yeah leaving Moab and then following her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law was discouraged <laughs> there you go there's a good start to a journey <laughs> let's get in the car with someone who's already beat up and discouraged and doesn't think God loves them and so uh there's Ruth who else Joseph Wow. I mean, I, I have to tell you, my brothers and sisters might not always love me, but they didn't throw me in a pit and leave me uh, for dead and talk about killing me and, and then sell me off to the slave traders. So again, if you look through the Bible, you're almost more hard-pressed to find somebody that we don't see went through a difficult time, but we will see everybody in the Bible that went in. Did God love them? Yes. Did God have a plan for them? Yes, yeah, so this is something that somehow we've brought on this the custom or this attitude that we need to be ashamed or hide that we're going through a hard time. Peter wrote to the church and he said, Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal or trial you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. But why is it every time we're, you know, right when we, you know, things cool off for a little bit and things get a little bit easier and then all of a sudden a trial hits and we're so surprised. I don't know about you, but I, it's, you know, it's like still, I'm still learning that. And then you've, you know, you go through your, your mini list, you know, what did I do wrong? Does God still love me? God, do you see that what's going on? You know, and then, and then the shame and everything that we go through. It's that process that we go through and realize that God he never told us that we were not going to go through hard times. He never promised us that. Now, there is a place where there's not going to be hard times, but we're not there yet. And so now when I'm talking to my friends, a lot of times I'll, we'll just start laughing. I'll say, we're not in heaven yet, are we? And we almost forget that things are not going to be perfect here. Um, thing, you know, We may not get all the stains out of our clothes. Um, in fact, Paul, when he was going around and encouraging the churches in Acts, it says he was sent to encourage the believers and he told them this. Okay, here's his encouragement. And it's probably not a bumper sticker or a t-shirt that you have. He said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And he was sent to encourage them. But it does, if we stop and think about his message for a moment, of course, he shared so many beautiful things. In fact, the one-year Bible girls know with what Debbie was sharing, Romans 8 this morning. You know, there is no condemnation. And can anything separate us from the love of God? Paul did share endless, encouraging verses to us. But he also told us the truth. Through many hardships, we will have to go to enter the kingdom of God. 
And that was what he used, it says, in Acts to encourage the other, to strengthen the other believers. How does that strengthen us? It strengthens us to know that this is going to happen. When it begins to happen, this is going to happen. It's kind of like when they tell you, and some of you might do this for a living, but there's a nurse with a needle in her hand. She's going to, there's going to be a little pinch. <laughs> and we still jump, and it still hurts, and it still surprises us, doesn't it? And, and she's even told us right at that moment, there's going to be a little pinch. And sometimes, um, and so here Paul says, we're going to go through hardships, and it's encouraging to know that we are going to do, that this is going to happen, that this isn't mean that something's wrong on the access of the world, that, that God is suddenly, you know, up in heaven wringing his hands going, I didn't know. Oh, wow, I didn't know that that was going to happen in your life, and I've got to figure it out. I'll get right back to you. Never is God taken off guard. He knows what we're going to go through. He knows our life. We know Psalm 139, most of us, that he knows our days before one of them was even scheduled. Do you know that? He knew every single day in our life. And some days, that's the only hope that I have. I'll, some, by the end of the day, I'll think, God, you saw this day a long time ago, and you knew I'd survive, or you knew this was coming. And so Paul wanted to be honest and say to the church, there's going to be hardships, and that's how we're going to get to the kingdom of God. This is part of the Christian journey. We need to accept it. Quite frankly, I hated hurricane season. I hated it. I didn't, I didn't get excited like I do with other seasons, Christmas season or, you know, Thanksgiving or Easter or anything else that we could find all the display in a store about. I didn't get excited about hurricane season. Um, and it's, but it's time to, I was thankful to be warned about it, that it was time to prepare, restock our supplies get our reinforcements for what trials will come our way. I want to ask you, if someone was walking with you and looked in your cart today, what they would find as far as preparation in your life for a storm. Are your supplies in your, your cart helpful and useful? And will they get you through the strong winds and the rain and possible power outages? Or is it all Twinkies and, and Cool Whip? You know, and you just you look at someone's cart and you think, I wonder if they know. Should I walk over and inform them that there's going to be a storm? And so we need to plan and realize that the storms are are coming our way, but they're also in his plan, and that he's not surprised. Um, To do that, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. I had so many storms to choose from. You should see the piles of paper. I I write on paper. I don't do my... um, teaching notes on the computer. I'm one of the old-fashioned girls, and I have piles and piles and piles of papers at home on all different storms. I could do a whole series of teaching um, on the storms in the Bible. And sometime, and if for someone tonight, they may want to go home and tackle that. You might want to just go home and just look up all the different storms. And we can even think about Noah. And I'll tell you one thing, I've been through a storm, but it's nothing like what Noah went through. Can you imagine being locked up with your family for how many days? It was like, it was over a year, wasn't it? After all was said and done, wasn't it over a year? Yeah, some of you are nodding. I hope I'm right. But anyway, animals and, you know, every once in a while, don't you just need 
just to get outside and have a little quiet in your time. Noah and his family never had that the whole time. And so, um, what's that? Jonah, yeah. Well, that was a whole different uh, boat, <laughs> mode of transportation through the water. <laughs> okay, so Mark chapter 6, verse 45 um, through 50. Immediately he made, Jesus, his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And he had just fed the, the thousands and he went and sent um, and he went and he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on land, and he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. And he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. And so we see here, this is the second storm. We can look ahead in Mark chapter 4. And he was uh, with the disciples shortly earlier, and they were in a similar situation where they were in the storm, except Jesus was in the boat. But in that storm, Jesus was asleep in the boat. And these were, um, for the great number of them, fishermen. They were used to being in boats. They were used to being in storms. They were used to being in these kind of situations. And on that one in Mark chapter 4, they woke him up saying, Lord, don't you care that we're going to die? They were terrified because the storm was so fierce and strong. And so it's interesting because, again, as I mentioned so many times, we want to hide from each other that we're going through difficult times or that we're facing a trial or that something is going on in our life. And yet, here we are looking at the disciples' lives under the care of Jesus that completely surrendered their life to him. And within a couple chapters, we have two fierce storms that these disciples, his loved beloved little gang of guys are brought through with him. One's with him in the boat, and the other one is when he's not in the boat. And it's almost the way, you know, the mother is with the kids, you know, the little ones in the nest or something, where the first time she might shove them to the edge of the nest, and the second time she's going to shove them out all the way. And that's kind of what we see Jesus doing, is the first time he's with them in the boat, but he's asleep. And the second time, he sends them out in the boat knowing he knew that there was going to be a storm and he was on the the shore and he wasn't in the boat this time with them. And so he was beginning to stretch their faith. He was beginning to um, continue to show them because he knew his time with them on earth was very short. And if you stop and think about the lives of these disciples, this gang of men that were in these boats and a tax collector and some fishermen and and the various... um, in society um, that that wouldn't even have fellowshiped or been kind to one another, or they're they're in these situations and they're learning these life lessons. And then you think of them later in the book of Acts, and you think of them being um, stoned, whipped, um, jailed, 
you know, all of them being mar martyred for the cause. They, this was all part of that training that Jesus was preparing them, their faith, the fact that, that even though they were with him, he was with them, that they were called his, that life wasn't going to suddenly be what they kept thinking it was going to be while he was with them, right? What did they think? They kept asking about the kingdom. Where is my throne going to be? Is my throne going to be next to yours? When are we going to kick the Romans out of Israel? When are we going to set up our our, you know, kingship, and you're going to be it, and we're in right with you, so we're going to be right next to the king and have these really lush positions in the kingdom. That's what they, that's what they were living for. And Jesus looked, knew what they were about, and he also knew their future. And so he, he lovingly began to help them grow and learn about him, learn about their God, learn about their own faith, learn about their own heart in these situations. And so, so many times we read about these storms in the Bible and what they showed um, the people that were in the storm. I'm completely off my notes, but you guys just grin and, and smile at me and we'll figure this one out. Um, he loved his disciples and yet he sent them into the storm. And notice with me, the disciples were doing what? Well, Jesus told them to get in the boat and go across the lake, didn't he? The Sea of Galilee. And what did they do? They got in the boat. They didn't go to the bar. They didn't go to Joe's. They didn't, you know, they didn't go do anything else. They did exactly what he told them to do. And there was still a storm. Because have you ever been, I don't know, you know, maybe even serving for this or maybe serving your family or, or the, the neighbor or your boss who's grumpy and you, you get up that morning and you're determined to do your best job and have your best smile and do everything that, you know, and you even prayed longer and then you go in and bam, there's a storm. And you, you want to say, Lord, did you not see? You know, am I not doing everything right? And here they were, they were in obedience. It wasn't a storm rose up because they were going the wrong direction like Jonah. Will, will we bring storms on ourselves? Yeah, Jonah's a perfect example. Um, will we bring on storms like Abraham lying about his sister? Yes. We will bring storms on at times ourselves. He will also help us out of those. He helped Sarah out of Abraham's lies twice as she was brought up tonight. I would like to think that I would have been obedient the first time with Abraham, but imagine the second time, you know, that he's going to introduce you as sister. And this a horrible situation had already happened. You'd kind of be standing there with your hands on your hips going, hello, do you not remember what happened last time? And so we will also at times walk straight into our storm ourselves, I believe. Um, and so we, but this time they did exactly what Jesus told them to do, and there was still a storm. And I think that's really important that we know that. Why would Jesus allow this? He has a purpose in our storms, in our trials, in our hardship. It might not feel good. It might not feel like it. We might not see any good that could ever possibly come out of it. But he does, and there's endless verses I could bring to you. But in Romans 5, three through five, he tells us we glory in our sufferings. Now, again, that's not a bumper sticker. <laughs> that's not something that we just, you know, put on our fridge. We glory in our sufferings. Um, we usually put more of the positive things, but he says because we know that suffering produces 
perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through his Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so what is Paul telling us here is that we glory in our sufferings. That just, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? You know, an oxymoron like jumbo shrimp. That's, you know, where you say two things in a row that don't match. And so we glory in our sufferings. Why? Paul goes on to say, because what they can do in our life, what it produces in our life as a Christian. And that also he goes on to say, they, they actually bring us to the point where we get hope. It doesn't sound right, does it, that we're going to go into a trial and come out with hope. But that's what happens. That is what happens. That's what happened with the disciples. They looked on and Jesus could calm the sea and Jesus could calm the water and Jesus could walk on the water and Jesus could tell Peter to walk on water. And he, we come out of a storm and, and there's hope because of what we've gone through and what he ha- who he was in the midst of our storm and what he was bringing us through and why. And he says, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. God's love is right around us, in us, surrounding us through the storm and the Holy Spirit who's given it to us. The Holy Spirit is with us. We will never be alone for one moment, not one second of our storm. So first in our cart, we need acceptance that he, he has a purpose and that we're not alone. Look around this room. You, you're not the only one who showed up for this workshop. Um, we're not alone when we're in a storm and his love is with us, producing in us a stronger and more productive life. Many times in a storm, it's so dark that it will block out the sun and we will feel alone and we will feel like God can't see just like the disciples, and it causes panic. I, I can tend to panic. I don't know about any of you, probably you're all seasoned saints and you don't panic like me, but I will, and, and I will surprise myself how I will panic right after he showed me something. And that's what happened in this situation. It says their hearts were hard. They were just sitting on the hillside feasting on a miracle. He had just fed the 5,000. He had just and and that's only men. They only counted the men. Don't get offended, but that's the custom of the day. So today we would have been counted and our children. So there wasn't just 4,000 or 5,000. There was 10,000 people off of a little boy's lunch. How many of you have a, have raised a son? Or you have a grandson or, you know, a, a, or a husband or, or a neighbor that's a man. Have you ever seen their lunch at, you know, middle of the day at school? <laughs> or by the time they bring the little lunch pail home, what does that lunch look like? It's just nothing that you and I would want to eat. And that's what Jesus fed thousands of from this little, um, boy's lunch. And so the disciples leave that scenario, get in the boat. Jesus tells them to go to the other side, so they're going to get to the other side. And he says that their faith was already not available to them because their hearts were hard. And they didn't get the message of the feeding of the 5,000. And so he knows our human nature. He knows that we will get through this major storm 
especially ones that we may have a little bit to do with us getting into that storm. And we will think, I have learned my lesson. I will never drift away from you, God. I will go exactly where you want me to go. I know that you're there. I'm not going to panic because this storm, you were so available. And right when I asked you to, you showed up and you helped me walk on water. And then we calmed the sea and everything was good. And then two seconds later, our storm rises. What do we do? God, where are you? Do you not see? Do you not know? And so the disciples, I love the Bible. It doesn't sugarcoat. It doesn't say disciples went through a storm. They learned their lesson and they never had to go through another storm. No, we read a couple chapters later, Jesus, you know, okay, guys, go in the boat. What how, another storm? And these are fishermen panicking again. And I love that the Bible shows us real because we need real, don't we? I I can't bear with, hey, you know what? I'm sorry you're going through a hard time. Here's a little verse. Be warm, be filled, go home. You should be all better now. I need women like Debbie that have cried with me and walked with me in support. We need one another, and we need to know that God knows we're human. And Jesus just, I imagine his face with these guys. He loved these guys. They walked together. They slept together. They ate together. They ministered together. They, they journeyed through the, the, you know, through Jerusalem and Israel together. So that, that's a bonding time. If you ever have to go on a short-term missionary, how many of you ever gone like a short-term missionary or even when, raise your hands up. When you surf together, you bond together, don't you? And you learn a lot about each other. <laughs> and you bring out a lot in each other. And so these guys were like that. And Jesus understood them, knew them, and he, and he didn't, he allowed them to go through these storms again. He didn't say, you should have learned your lesson. That's it. That lesson, that one's gone. He, he, he bore with them. He stayed with them. And he walked with them through another storm. And so I think that's so encouraging for us to know. Where was Jesus when they were in the middle of the lake and on, in the storm? Where was he? He was on the shore. What was he doing? He was praying. Do you think that maybe he was praying for them? The Bible tells us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Do you know that Jesus is always praying for you? You by name. You on the shore. You in the boat. You in the middle of the lake when that storm hits. He is praying for you. He, was, he knew where they were. Feels like it feels like when the storm hits, he doesn't know where we are. Feels like he doesn't know that you know that he's not with us and that we're out there by ourselves. And he knew exactly where they were. And the Bible says that he was watching them and he could see them straining at the oars. They were just trying with every bit of their human effort to get through that storm. And he saw, and he didn't calm the storm from the side. He didn't say, oh, there's a storm. I got to calm it. My guys are out there. He knew exactly when to show up and exactly what to do in that moment. And so we need to know that he has his eye on us. He knows exactly where we are. He knows that the winds are contrary to us, but he is with us. He's watching. He knows, he sees. And then what did he do? He went out to them. He showed up at the right time. Be encouraged by this. Be encouraged by the fact that he watched them straining. They were trying everything they could on their own. They thought they were going to die. 
that it's a common thing you can look up and read about storms on the Sea of Galilee. Any of you have been there, you know that the tour guides will tell you that the way that the hills and the mountains are shaped is like a perfect funnel for the wind to come in and take a perfectly calm sea and immediately it is turbulent and high waves and very scary. And so that's what that was something that would happen on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus knew they were going to face this and he had his eye on them. He prayed for them and he came out to them and he was walking by them. I love it. Sometimes he's right there and we're not calling out to him yet because you know what I've done? I've called everybody. I've texted everybody. I've complained to everybody. I've sat down and cried. I have, I've eaten, you know, a pint of ice cream and, you know, I've, I've felt sorry for myself or whatever, whatever you might be your thing. You might do shopping therapy or yell at somebody or, or quit one more time. Whatever it is, but he's right there, and we haven't called out to him yet. And he was walking by, and it's so funny because they're, it's a ghost. So imagine you're like in the most scary moment of your life. You think you're going to die, and then you think you see a ghost. And it's Jesus, and he's right there. And sometimes he even interrupts our storm with, an, with something else. And this time it's him. And so sometimes we're even in the, you know, like I said, you know, the early days of our trial, it was just one thing on top of another thing on top of it. Before we could even put our head up above water, there was something else hitting our life that we couldn't even have fathomed or, or understood that was going to come our way. And yet Jesus was right there. They were never surprised. So what we have with us is his presence. We need to put that in our cart. And I don't, I, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm just saying to, to have that as one of our supplies, one of our reinforcements, something that we always are looking to, that we always have his presence. I and you love King David for writing the Psalms, don't you? When we read the Psalms, every day of our life, we some, something that we can relate to. And you know, David was so real. He was God's beloved. God, even when he talked about David after David had gone to heaven, would talk to him and call him his man, call him a man after his own heart. He called him his servant. God had kind things to say about David. God showed David great favor. But when we read about David's life, there wasn't anything really truly easy about his life. You know, his his upbringing with his, you know, Samuel sent to his house to go anoint the king, and he has uh, six older brothers, and his dad doesn't even think to bring David into the mix. So there's his status in the household. And then his older brothers are jealous and mad at him. And then, you know, he finally gets away from them, and he goes and moves in the castle. That's a pretty cool gig until, you know, the king's trying to throw spears and kill you. And then he, so he's running for his life with that. And on and on and on, I could carry on about David's life. And he went through many, many serious hardships and troubles and yet he was beloved of God but what I love that he did is he was honest with God and honest with us about it when we read his psalms so many times he was like God um where are you God wake up God arise God come down and he would cry out and say you know like these disciples where are you and so David was honest with God he'd pour out his heart pour out his complaint when we pray, we don't pray, 
verses only. We do pray verses, but we don't pray verses only. There's not a certain structure. Sometimes we just say, hey, where are you? I'm desperate. When we call out for help, if you were literally drowning, would you just try to think of the proper sentence structure? Well, thank God it wouldn't be that for me because I, I don't have a handle on the English language and so I would drown. But, you know, if you're looking for a lifeguard, you don't have to address them in a certain way, right? You just raise your hand and your head goes down. You raise your hand. You, you are desperate for help. And David oftentimes was, and he would just pour it out. Lord, I'm, you know, go kill my enemies. Or, you know, this is going on in my life. Or did you see this? And David was very honest and he poured out his heart. But he would also acknowledge God. He would acknowledge his character. He would acknowledge his presence. He would acknowledge his power. He would acknowledge that sometimes he didn't even know what was going on, but God would know. And so there was an honesty there with David and our God. And I just think that that is something that that we just acknowledge God's presence and ask him to show up and call out to him for help. And God would hear his cry in the darkest hours of his life. When, when I was going through the darkest, deepest times, sometimes the only thing I could think of saying to him is, Mercy, God. Have mercy, God. I didn't even know how to pray at that moment. The Bible says that we can groan and the Holy Spirit will take our groaning and bring it to the Father. But acknowledge him. And so sometimes our best prayer can just be, mercy, God, have mercy on my family. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on my loved one. I don't even know how to pray for them in this moment. Have mercy, Lord. And we groan and we cry out to him and we acknowledge him. Um, he often wants for us to call out to him. He wants to hear our voice. Isn't it precious if you have a little one at home and they have a nightmare and then you hear that little voice in the still of the night and you hear that little precious, mom, you know, mom. And you, it just it's precious to you. And he wants us to humble ourselves, to acknowledge him. He will enter and he will do one of two things in our storm. He will either calm the wind and the waves or he will calm our heart. And there's sometimes he doesn't calm the wind and the waves when we call on him. And we're still in the midst of the storm, but he will calm our heart. And so call on him. When things are calm, we have a view of God, don't we? It's like this fresh view of him after the storm or even in the eye of the storm when there's a hurricane and it, it's a circular motion and it's going over an area like I said I went through a lot of hurricanes there's something called an eye of a storm and it's the center of the storm where it's completely calm so sometimes we'll get the eye of the storm sometimes we'll call out to him and he'll calm down for a moment we'll think it's over and then all of a sudden the backside comes and sometimes the backside of a hurricane has is where the tornadoes are and like in hurricane andrew some of you remember that in the, the 90s did such devastation in miami it was the backside of the storm and so he shows up sometimes right to, right before the the worst of the it's called the calm before the storm and so um and so we just look for him and we call out to him and we acknowledge him and that he, he is there. Um, 
in recent weeks, I experienced pain from a, a, a friend, nothing really major, but just enough where um, I, I went to others for comfort. You know, I didn't tell them who it was, but I just said, you know, the, I'm, I'm going through pain in my, and, and I realized at one point the Lord was fine, just there. And you ever know where sometimes someone is right there and you, you're not acknowledging them. And I was like, okay, Lord, talk to me. And he said, I designed this for you to turn to me and me alone. This is me time. This is look at me time. This is why you're in this situation. And once I acknowledged that this was just him and I time, he showed me so much. He showed me how far I had drifted away. Not, I hadn't gone off and dove off and done these major crazy sins. I had just slowly been drifting away from what I had had with him. And he was pulling me back. And so this was one of the storms that I, I pretty much was responsible for. And yet, you know, I called on his name and he was right there to answer. And he was right there to give me the information I needed. And he was my source of comfort. I think of Naomi in the book of Ruth was mentioned. And Naomi and how she really had a lot of hardship. To be in a foreign land at that time, to be a widow at all, meant poverty, meant begging, meant, meant being in a, the lowest rung of society. And so here she had lost her husband and both her children to to lose your children at all. And then she had these daughter-in-laws she felt responsible. We know her story. And what did she do? People, her name, Naomi, means pleasant. And she got back to Israel when she found out the famine was over. And she said, hey, pleasant, hey, pleasant. And she'd say, no, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. She said, call me Mara. Call me bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me. And so she would talk to people about it. And then I think about chapter three. There's only four chapters. Suddenly everything in her life's different. And by chapter four, she's holding the whole answer to her whole trial and her whole situation. And she was blessed with this grandchild and how she probably wished I wish I hadn't gone around complaining as much as I did because I was in chapter 1 and 2 and I didn't see what chapter 3 and 4 had. And if I had seen chapter 3 and 4, I would have come back and said, I know right now my life looks bitter, but my God is able to make my life pleasant. My God is able to bring good out of this situation. And I think Naomi you know, was probably kicking herself. She was holding that beautiful baby Obed, but she, you know, David's grandfather. She was probably wishing, I wish I'd hung in there a little longer before I gave in and just started whining and complaining to everybody in my hometown about what I'm going through. Do we go to one another? Yes, but remember... God's not done. And so even if we do that with someone precious in our life, sometimes we can stain their reputation. So we're out there just saying, God, God is nowhere to be found, and this is what's going on. And then Naomi had a whole, God had not only the ability to help her through, but he had beautiful things in her future for her. And so when the winds are blowing. We might, um, we might need to pull out and go into prayer. You know, I don't know that Naomi really, we don't really see where she encountered that situation. I'm not saying she didn't pray, but it's not recorded for us in those four chapters in the Bible. Um, but for those that 
that come to the place where there's nowhere else to go in our trial. Sometimes we'll, we'll knock on the person right next to us in our home. We'll tell them our, our situation, and guess what? They don't know what to do. And so then we'll go to another friend, and we'll go you know, to another person. We, we're looking and looking and looking. We go to church on Sunday, and we think, okay, the answer's going to be here, and it's not. And we put on Christian radio, and we, we keep looking and thinking. And sometimes we just need directly to go to prayer. The more answer prayer, the more we know how to pray. And going to prayer in life is going um, to a storm shelter. In, in South Florida, there's many storm shelters, especially if you live on the ocean. They're, they actually evacuate you from your home because the waves, the storm surge gets so big, there's flooding. And so we, it's like running to a storm shelter, running for protection, safety, and instruction and promise. Um, for the proverb, for print, uh, Pinterest and Proverbs, I chose, uh, or as Debbie said, it, this proverb chose and, and um, begged to be read. It's Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into him and are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. When the storm is sudden, fierce, or whether it's lingering daily with pressure and wind that is against us, with a slow erosion, we can find shelter in him. In him we run into him. Um, The disciples in these two stories in Mark 4 and Mark 6 were in a sudden storm. But there's many um, Bible characters that were in long-lasting slow and it's almost sometimes you wonder what you'd rather have the most terrifying scary storm like the disciples where you think for sure you're gonna die do I want that one door number one or door number two where it just never ends and it's day in and day out and it's hard and sometimes we think we're out and then we're not and it erodes and it pushes and it's pressure day after day in our life um, there was a woman in the Bible that fits that description, and it's Hannah. And in First um, Samuel chapter 1, how many of you know Hannah's story? Okay, so if you don't, you might want to go home and read First Samuel chapter 1. But there was a, this lovely lady um, who I don't think any of us in this room can relate to all of her story because she was married to a man who really loved her, but he also had another wife. And so um, she... Uh, the other wife, Penaniah, had children, and Hannah was barren. And her husband really, really loved her, but she had that, that loss and the emptiness of barrenness in her life. And the other wife, imagine this, provoked her and picked on her and made fun of her because of her not having children and this one having children. I think it's because the husband liked Hannah so much. And so imagine that every day in your home. Imagine the scenario every day. And honestly, because of 10 years of barrenness, barrenness is cruel enough without somebody provoking you about it or pointing it out to you. It's cruel enough as it is. And and here, 
Um, She had this enemy right in her home, right in her life every day. And so she got to the point where even her husband, well-meaning as he was, and I love the Bible because it's so real, he says to her, hey, babe, aren't I as good as 10 sons to you? And I don't know if she said this out loud, but I'm sure in her head she said, no, you're not as good as 10 sons. I'm empty. I want a baby. I want a child to hold in my arms. I want my womb to be filled. And so he loved her, he treated her well, but he didn't even get it. And so that was a very lonely storm. Some of our storms are isolating and lonely. And she was going through this, and they went into Jerusalem for one of the festivals, and she finally got to the point where she went into the temple herself to pray. And she went in and to seek the Lord and to just give this to him. And the Bible says that she poured out her bitterness before him. She poured out her anguish before him to the point where Eli who wasn't really the priest with the most as he was not walking with the Lord nor were his two sons that were priests at that time he looked on at her and he thought she was drunk so on top of all her anguish the priest the high priest is accusing her of being drunk as she prays she can't even get understanding in the temple in the church she can't even get understanding some of you have had that happen I know Um, that there's times like that in our walk with the Lord. And some people leave churches and they never go back because they were misunderstood or mistreated or, or somebody didn't come to their rescue. And that was all that they could take. But Hannah pushed through even that. And she pushed through to God and she prayed to him. And she even looked at the priest and she said, I was praying. I was praying. And so he said to her, may may God answer your prayer. He didn't even say that her prayer, you know, he didn't even give her a prophecy. He didn't say, God told me to tell you. He said, may, may your prayer, may your answer come to you. And you know what she did? She got up that day. She went out and washed her face and she joined them and she ate in the celebration. She, that was it. She left it with God. And she got up and she washed her face. There was a, it was like David, when David lost his son and he was fasting and praying and begging God for the life of his son. When his son died, they were afraid to tell him because they thought, wow, what condition will this put him in? And as soon as he found out his son died, he went and washed his face and got up and ate. And they were saying, why did you eat now that your son's dead? And he said, because I know I'm going to go where he is. And he knew God's promises well enough about heaven that he was going to go be with his son. And that that gave him the ability to wash his face and eat. And so Hannah, she just left it there. She's like, this is all I can do. And I'm going to leave it here with God and I'm going to walk away with this almost promise with the priest to say, maybe I'm going to get what I've prayed and asked God for. And, you know, she had a son. But she didn't just have a son. God didn't say, all right, Hannah, you've just come to me so many times, I'm finally going to grant your prayer. He, She wanted a son to fill her arms, but he wanted a ruler to rule his people. And he gave her Samuel. And I imagine, you know, that sometimes the longer storms that we go through, where we just day in and day out, that pressure, that erosion, the wind, the rain, sometimes those have the greatest gifts at the end. 
And here she is. She had more than Samuel. She had more children than that. But she had this son. And she was preparing him to go. She promised him to God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And she left him in Jerusalem. She fulfilled her promise to God, left him in Jerusalem with the priest. I imagine her conversation in his ear as a little boy. I prayed for you. There there was years of tears of crying out to God for you and God gave me you and he has you in this life and I promised him to you and you're gonna go and be God's man and he was God's man without even a good upbringing from the priests they didn't even really know God and yet Samuel was God's man and Hannah breathed that into his little ears as a young boy, as she, she would minister to him before she gave him over to God. Imagine that. Imagine this was her answer to prayer, this precious boy. And so some of the most bitter trials that we go through will have some of the be- most beautiful outcomes. Um, let's not miss it. She ran to the name of the Lord. She called him in her prayer, Lord Almighty. Get to know his names. Um, I don't know how if Debbie shared this or Denise has or anyone you've ever heard teach, but I've heard this from someone years ago that when the middle of the night you can't sleep, go through the alphabet. Lord, you are almighty. You are beautiful. You are creator. You are our day spring. And you go through the alphabet and just praise him for his character. And then, you know, now that I'm in my 50s, I'm still awake after up to Z and you always go alpha omega because I don't know anything Z. And then, you you know, you're like, oh, but I'm still awake. When I was younger, I'd fall asleep somewhere in the alphabet, but now I'm still awake. So now I do the benefits of being a Christian. I'm, be- I'm um, You're always available to me. I'm your beloved. You care for me. And we go through and we, we fortify ourselves with who he is so that when the storms hit, and she knew his name. Many times in scripture, when we see someone going through something terrifying or facing an army, they would call out to the Lord and they say, God, you were the creator. You created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. They, they acknowledged who they were coming. It wasn't like, oh God, I know I'm going to bring you this big problem and I wonder if you can handle it. It's like, you're creator of all the universe. And I'm going to bring this little problem to you rather than, this is a big problem and I hope you can handle it. And so she went to him as Lord Almighty. And so when we pray, remember, he's mighty, he's faithful, he's our helper, he's a tower, he's our rock, he's our defense, he's our redeemer, our deliverer. He is the only one capable. When we read Hannah's story, it says that he closed her womb. He was the one responsible for her not being able to get pregnant. And then he was the one who could open it. So there's times that he is the only one that, that can help us in our situation. And when she prayed, she said to him, like David, honesty, see me in my misery. Remember me. Don't forget me. She cried out to him. And um, he answered her prayer. And she washed her face when she got that promise before she had her child. Three years ago, as I mentioned, when everything had just began to um, happen in our world, my son came home. He was 18, and and he was um, supposed to leave two weeks later and lead a a team on a trip to Uganda, Africa. It was going to be his fourth trip to Uganda on a missionary trip, and that was just 
his look forward to. It was something he was always talking about, always excited about recruiting other kids to go. It was just something that it was kind of his crowning thing for his senior year. And he came in the door and he said, Mom, they just told me that I'm not um, going to lead the trip to Uganda. In fact, they think it's a good idea. I don't go under our new um, circumstances. And just seeing this beautiful son of mine's face crushed I don't know I was bearing up under so many things but that moment was that straw that broke the camel's back I just caved and I just walked away from him and I went up into my room and I shut the door and I just said this is one of this is my why God I haven't even been asking you why up until now but I don't get this one I don't get why in the midst of all this that one more thing is taken from him. You know, how could one more thing be taken from him at this point? You know, almost like, do you know what you're doing? (laughs) You know, moment in my life. And I was just, and it just kind of opened the floodgates. And I probably was up there for a couple hours just crying and crying and crying and crying and crying and crying, but I kept going back to this one thing. Lord, should I, you know, should I call them? Should I talk to them? Is this the final answer? Lord, do you, you know, and I was crying, 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 almost to the point where I couldn't even, you know, have any words left. There was no tears left. I was dehydrated from crying, and and all of a sudden I hear in my, in my heart, you know, not audibly, are you done? And I said, yes, Lord. And he said, okay. And he said, I want to ask you, if I want to get Christian to Uganda, Africa, do you think that I can? Yes, Lord. I really believe that you can get anybody to Africa that you want to get. And when I take him to Africa, he will be the leader of the team. And I said, okay. And he said, get up and wash your face. So I got up and washed my face, and I went down and I cooked for my kids. And I looked at my son and I said, you are going to go to Uganda, Africa. And when you go, you will be leading a team. My son, three years later, right now at this moment, is in Uganda, Africa. Not the way I'd ever thought he would get there. And he is now, he has been, had been asked to be the leader of his team. And so I just want to share with you, I know, isn't it sweet? And it's just, my, um, anyway, I'm lost in my notes, but um, I want to encourage you when you are going through trials and certain things, and if God does give you a promise, take that promise. Wash your face and stand. Stand with that promise. It doesn't mean like you can't falter ever again or, you know, that he won't give you another promise. But, but I've come to ask God in, in my prayer life, give me a place for my feet to stand. I just need something, even if it's just this little tiny speck to stand on. But at this moment, will you give me a promise enough to stand on? I don't need the whole answer. I don't need to know, you know, what's coming next or how you're going to get me through this. But could you just give me a place to stand for this moment? And when I've ever asked God for that, he's always been faithful to do that. So ask him for a place to stand. One day, I was so busy. 
I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but you're just hoping that your phone doesn't ring, that a child doesn't walk into your room, that um, there's that you don't find yesterday's to-do list, that there's just not one other thing that comes your way because you literally can't do it. I mean, you just... There's not, you know, I'm not going to be able to breathe today. I'm so busy. And I was having one of those moments where I woke up in the morning and I, and I just said, God, I literally cannot do one more thing. I don't, I, something's going to give. It's either going to be me or my list or something's got to give. Will you help me? And I said, please, today when I speak, will you give me a place to stand? And what stood out is you feed them. And remember when they were going to, you know, the 5,000 were there and the disciples said, oh God, you better send them, you know, Jesus, send them out. They're going to be hungry and there's no, no food here. And Jesus looked at them and he said, you feed them. And again, they didn't have any food, any money. They said, we don't have any money. And if we did, it would be a day's journey. And then by the time we got back and they were telling him all the reasons it wouldn't work. And he looked at them, the disciples who had nothing and said, you feed them. And, and so I was just like, what do you mean? I've got to feed people now. Or, you know, what do you mean I feed them? Or I've got to do, you just gave me something else to do. And I was panicking. And then suddenly when I was driving, I was teaching a lady study. I was driving in and all of a sudden I went, you feed them. Oh, you feed them. They didn't have to do a thing. They just showed up. They, they, he said, you feed them. And then he handed them food and they fed them. And I got so excited because he had told me to feed them because he was telling me, show up. Show up, I'll put it all into your hands, and you give it out. And you know what? He did that that day. And so just ask him. Ask him, Lord, give me something. Give me a place to stand. Give me something that I can move on. And he's so faithful. He's longing to do that for us in our life. I'm probably out of time. And we didn't get through all our P-letter words. Um, But I'm going to give you some scripture verses to look up. And and a lot of you have walked with the Lord a long time, so you already know them. Um, Maybe they'll just encourage you again. But um, under promise, I had Matthew 7, 24 through 27. That's when Jesus gives us the picture, the contrast in the Gospels of the wise and the foolish. And it's interesting that Debbie started tonight with a devotion about a wise woman who builds and the foolish one who tears down. And Jesus told us in Matthew 7 about a wise man who builds a house on the firm foundation of the rock of hearing and doing the word. And the foolish man who still builds a house, imagine how much effort time and energy and cost there is to building a house, but he builds it on the sand. And he said, both both houses, the wise and the foolish, the wind came and the wind and the waves and the floods came and beat against the house. And the house built on by the man who read the word and did the word stood. And the house by the man who didn't follow through, read the word and do the word fell apart. His whole house fell, and Jesus said, with a great crash. And so there are going to be storms in our life, but we can build our life, as Debbie mentioned, building. A wise woman builds with the word. And I've often, I I mentioned to you some of my learning disabilities and, and to meditate on God's word, memorizing God's word. How many of us, it's hard for some of us, isn't it? And I, one day I was asked the Lord, I don't really know always how to meditate in our day and age, how to meditate on your word. And it was the simplest answer. He goes, just do it. 
And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant, you know, because I'm always thinking of finding a quiet place and just sitting there and thinking about God's word. And I thought, well, this is easier. It's not easy to do God's word. We need the Holy Spirit's power and help. But why not just read it in the morning and say, all right, let's do it. And then you're meditating on it because you're thinking about it all day because that's your goal to do it. And so I, I, I hope that helps somebody here because I used to think, you know, if they're dead, they're red. I mean, I read Spurgeon and Finney and I read these guys and I go, you guys had time to think. You, you sat and you know, you had candlelight and you could just snuff it out and everything would be quiet and there was no traffic. And, you know, you guys had time to think. And, and all this rich, beautiful conversation from his word. We might not have that much time, but we are doers. So do his word. Get up in the morning, read something, and, and, and when you're reading, say, Lord, highlight one thing that you want to work on with me today, and let's do it. Let's do your word, and that's how we can meditate on his word. So be prepared. Read his promises daily. And I think, um, even though, am I out of time? Okay, I'm going to close with this, but when, when, um, when we talk about reading the word in the morning, I'm going to challenge you on something. And, I, and bear with me because it sounds rude at first. But if you're reading a devotional book, I don't, I don't look at that the same as reading the word. And most devotionals start with a, a verse or part of a verse at the top of the page. But the rest of that page, most of the time, most of the time, is another man's thoughts on that area of scripture. Is that wrong? No, I read those. But it's not reading his word, me sitting at his feet with him. And so I want to encourage you. If you're reading that, that's great. I, I do read those. I read a morning and evening. I read Daily Light. I read uh, Chuck's uh, Faith Book. I read um, Streams in the Desert. I read all those, but not until I've already read the word of God. And so some of you new believers, it might be a couple verses a day. For some of you others, read through the Bible in a year. If you haven't read the Bible through, make it your goal. But read and let him speak to you. 